0: Love Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz, and you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website, sumatisparks.com. That's S and Sam, U-M-A-T-I, Sparks, like sparks are flying, dot com. And when you enter your email, you'll be added to my mailing list, and you will be the first to learn about both my online events as well as my live events in the San Francisco Bay Area. So tonight, I'm really excited to be interviewing Lori Handlers. Uh Lori is a sex, sex and happiness coach and the author of the Amazon number one international bestseller, Sex and Happiness, The Tantric Laws of Intimacy. For over a decade, Lori's hosted a weekly radio show called Sex and Happiness. She's produced and starred in three independent award-winning films. She's also a lead faculty member for ISTA, and her passion hobby is Radical Life Extension. Welcome to the show, Lori. Thank you so much, Sumati. There's so much in your introduction here to to ask about, so <laughs> um, let's you know, it's interesting. I was listening to your, your podcast, and I, was, I just happened to pick your interview with um, Charlie Glickman, and you were talking about how you were just changing your branding to Sex and Happiness Coach, and that's why I was attracted to invite you to be on my show, because of that title. So it's a very catching title. So maybe you can start by talking about how you came to discover that that's what you wanted to call yourself.
1: Well, that's a great question. When I first started teaching Tantra, it was back in, I don't know, 22 years ago, and nobody knew what Tantra was. They maybe heard that Sting practice Tantra, or right. they, <laughs> they heard it mentioned in American Pie, too. But other than that, they never heard of it. So, I would, you know, wherever I would go, like people would say, well, what do you do? And I'd say, I teach a kind of yoga because I, mm-hmm. I didn't want to mm-hmm. say what I did, because then I'd have to go into a big explanation. I didn't know that I wanted to tell everybody. It was very strange right. back then. So um, anyway, then I did tell people. You know, I teach tantra. It it involves sexual energy. It's really a whole way of life. But when you get into it, sex gets you into it, and then you find out that it's so much more. Anyway, for right. years I did... I. I talked about that. Then I called it transformation through pleasure. And that still was too woo-woo. People just didn't get it. So, I don't know, about 10 years ago, I realized, wow, my book is named Sex and Happiness. My show got changed from, I changed, I retired the show at Tondra Cafe because I was bored. Like, basically, if one more person said, I love eye-gazing, like I was going <laughs> to pull my hair out. <laughs> so I just... So I retired Tantra Cafe, and I made my show Sex and Happiness. And then I, one day, I was like, "Duh, I'm a Sex and Happiness coach. Everyone gets that. I don't have to explain anything when I say that." So, life became much easier. Then that was ten years ago. So what? We're in 2018. So yeah, about 2008, I named myself a Sex and Happiness coach, or somewhere around there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. But yeah, too.
0: that's a great st- –
1: yeah, and that is very clear. Sex and happiness,
0: Coach. Got it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So how do you see the,
0: those two things being related? Um, it may seem obvious to people, but I think people could be unhappy and still have sex. So <laughs> how do you think those two – how do you see those two words being related?
1: I actually think they're very connected. I don't think you can have really great sex if you're not happy, you can have sex if you're mm-hmm. not happy, but I don't think you're, I don't think it's great sex. Maybe mm-hmm. you're, you know, maybe you're using drugs, maybe you're using alcohol, maybe you're using sex. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think people get happy. Uh, I think happiness and joy is an inside job. And I think the practice of Tantra leads to inside joy. And then I think that joy, and we use, we engage sexual energy, we, we um, activate sexual energy, and that leads to real great happiness. And then I think sex becomes something else. Sex then becomes mm-hmm. like a rumi poem that we're the star mm-hmm. of. Like It's like communing with God, like tra- traveling in the cosmos, like melting into the void. That's what's possible when we're truly happy and truly sexy. And I don't think that Mm -hmm. happens just by chance. I mean, occasionally it does, but I don't think it does. I think it takes some work. I think they go hand in hand. Mm
0: -hmm. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And how did you get into being a Tantra teacher back in the day?
1: Well, I... First of all, I was very precocious. I'm going to give you the short answer. I was very precocious as a child. Um, My parents, uh, certainly my mother and my grandmother, worried about my sexual activity, what I was going to be like when I grew up. They looked at me and said, she's trouble. Um, When I did have sex, which I waited, I guess, until I was 18, and when I had sex, it was a terrible event, my first It's sexual intercourse. My other sexual dabblings were good, but my first sexual intercourse was terrible. And from there on in, it was very lackluster. And I knew, I intuitively knew in my own body that there was something way more. But I could never, I didn't know how to articulate it back then. And so I... I'll just. I'm going to give you a framework here. I'm 70, so mm-hmm. when I say back then, I'm talking about being in college in the middle 60s, and mm. it wasn't socially acceptable for girls to talk about sex or to even let on to boys they were having sex with. That. There might be more to it, there might be more pleasure, there might be something else they could do. If there just wasn't a vocabulary, there wasn't, I didn't have the words or the wherewithal to explain myself to people I was having sex with. So I didn't, um, occasionally I had a really good relating with someone and I would say, you know, let's go to a cabin somewhere and explore the depth of what could happen when we connect. And they would look at me sideways You know, Hmm. they didn't, they were like, what is she talking about? And I'm, aren't I any good? You know? So in 1986, I subscribed to yoga journal or new age journal. I don't remember which one it was in. I think it was in yoga journal. Anyway, there was an article in 1986 about Margot Anand. And I read Mm -hmm. that over and over again. And I went, that's it. This woman knows what I know. But I don't know how she knows and I don't know how to find her. All I know is
0: mm-hmm. that's
1: it. And then I waited ten years. I waited to nineteen ninety six or nineteen ninety five to uh find my own teacher. So I found a teacher then. It wasn't Margot. There was no internet, you know, in the eighties. And there was barely yeah. decent an internet in the nineties. So I didn't know where to find us. I just knew I mm-hmm. knew I would know when I found it. And so I did. I found a teacher, and I went, I started studying, and in no time I was, you know, kind of at the head of the class, and I said, I'm going to teach this. This is what I'm going to do for my life. It changed my life so much that I just said, this is my calling. Wow. Yeah.
0: Beautiful story. So you eventually found <laughs> Margo and
1: on, <Aunt>, huh? <laughs> Well, I didn't. Re- I mean, I know Margot, and she's been on my radio show, but I have never studied sky dancing tantra. I studied. Ip- that's Salute,
0: awesome that Ip- she ended up being on your um, radio show after that. That's amazing. How, how oh, long yeah. after that you read the article was she a guest on your radio show?
1: Oh well, I let's see. I've been broadcasting for eleven, twelve years. She probably was on my show seven years in. So she wasn't that easy. Margot was in, um, she was retired, and I'm not going to say in hiding, but she was kind of a recluse for quite mm-hmm. a few years. And so mm-hmm. during those years, I, I couldn't get in touch with her. I finally got mm-hmm. in touch with her through uh, other people that I teach with who were students of hers and who recommended to her mm-hmm. that she come on my show. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, so, and of course, that's the first thing I told her on my show mm-hmm. I said to her, you don't know this but I read an article about you in the 80s and that's what changed my life that's what made me know that I I knew that I knew something intuitively that that you know I hadn't learned in school and nobody ever told me it was just like I knew there was more to sex and the article about you gave me hope that I would find it
0: Mhm Amazing
1: Yeah
0: That's a great yeah. great story <laughs> And so how has your study of Tantra affected your own personal relationships throughout your life. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Mm. Yeah, Tantra changed everything. The first thing that happened was, I think it was the first thing, maybe it was all, you know, I don't really know. It's like a package, but let's say, first of all, I got into the feminine, into my own feminine identity, my dark and light feminine, which were pretty hidden to me. I was very, very successful in corporate America. I function in my male aspect most of the time. I was very assertive. I was very successful. I could have smoked a cigar in any boardroom in Mm -hmm. in corporate America. I didn't – I mean, although I had dresses and I wore high heels, I can't really say that I was operating functionally or consciously pretty much ever in the feminine. So one Mm -hmm. is that Tantra gave me my feminine and I could be in balance. Mm. Two – that later on, about six years in, my masculine and my feminine married inside myself. And so whereas before when I was having sexual relationships with people, I would be looking at them to, to find me. Like I'd try to mm-hmm. look in the eyes of my lover to find out who I was, to have myself right. reflected back or to have myself feel like I was lovable when my masculine and feminine married inside myself, I remember the exact moment that I felt it. Um, I didn't need anybody on the outside anymore to reflect anything to me. Like I already, I was sufficient. I was sovereign. I I had my own agency. And I discovered that Outside of me, lovers were then cherry on the cake, you know, cherry on the icing on the cake. Like I didn't need them for me to feel wonderful, whole, and terrific. I, and so once I didn't need anybody, I wasn't at all needy. I was so free to be able to have phenomenal relationships. Uh, Mm. whether they became lovers or not didn't matter. Like I had so much more bandwidth for everybody. Uh, I wasn't on the hunt. I wasn't on the anything. I just kind of got quiet inside. So that's a huge change. And, and um, also I don't want to leave out, and by the way, that continues to unfold even now, even though that happened in about 2005. Um. The other piece I don't want to leave out is the practice and practices of emotional release, not mm-hmm. just tantra practices of, you know, moving sexual energy and activating sexual energy in my, in my first and second chakras and moving the energy up to my crown and back or practicing sex magic, but just the practices of emotional release changed my life because i was always a person with a lot of anger and although i went to therapy and participated in encounter groups and you know did lots of self-help things i never could find out what the source of the anger was and so in tantra we accept it all. There's no judgment about it, and there's no right and wrong. There isn't any, like, mm-hmm. polarity type of thing. In Tantra, everything just becomes what, what is. So my mm-hmm. anger became what is. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, my anger is what is inside of me. I have a flush fund of anger, and I not only don't have to make myself wrong about it anymore and keep trying to figure it out or blame it on my parents or whatever, I can just own my anger and I can express it in emotional release. And so I did emotional release every single day until I no longer had any kind of slush fund of anger. And then my friends thought that I was on Prozac. (laughs) They said, what happened to you? (laughs) You're so calm. And I said, yeah, I'm taking, I'm doing Tantra. And they were like, are you sure you're not on drugs? Like, you're so calm. You're not like, you're not reactive anymore. Like, you're not fighting. And I said, yeah, I don't feel the need to. Like, I I dissipated the anger. It was my responsibility. And I still don't know why I had the anger in the first place, but I don't care anymore. hmm So that was a huge change. That was especially a huge change, not only in, like, my my belly and the chemistry, you know, the the peptides in my stomach, but also it was a huge change in all of my relationships, including my family, my best friends, uh, lovers, old lovers who are still friends, lovers-to-be, like, I don't fight anymore. I just don't have anything to fight about.
0: Right. So is that one of the ways that you teach people to find happiness is through that type of practice?
1: Absolutely. I'm like the queen mm-hmm. of emotional release. I'm known in the mm-hmm. tantra world as the queen of emotional release. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, mm-hmm. that's probably why I didn't take um, tantra from Margot Anand because once I learned emotional release and put it into my classes, when I went to New York the first time to teach there was a whole bunch of sky dancing people there and they didn't want to do emotionally. And I said, mm-hmm. well, how, how can you, how can you want to just make nice feelings over the top of a toxic waste dump? Like I don't trust you. <laughs> what, did you grow up in Disneyland? You know? And so, yeah, so that's probably why it's funny how you find what you need to find and you don't find what you don't need to find. So I found, you know, practices that had that had a lot of emotional release. And then my former partner and I, who I started my business with, he and I made up an emotional release technique. So half the world now is doing something called yoga boxing, which was invented oh. by us. And it's like, uh, do you know what EMDR is?
0: Yes, that eye yeah. movement so, thing that you do with a the therapist. Yes, yeah. yeah.
1: Right, it's a therapeutic eye movement thing where you move your eyes left to right, left to right, left to right, and you speak at the same time while you're mm-hmm. moving your eyes left to right. And that, what that does is unswitch the brain from a freeze that happened during a traumatic incident. And yoga boxing mm-hmm. is very similar, although you're moving your arms, you're moving your right arm, your left arm, your right arm, your left arm, and you're punching and you're saying things. And when you're punching oh. and saying things and moving, moving alternative arms, you're unswitching the brain from trauma. You don't ah. when you do when you do things like that. You don't need to relive trauma. You can just speak whatever words come to you as you're punching or as you're moving your eyes left and right. And the brain unswitches anyway. Often you know fight, flight, or freeze. So when mm-hmm. someone freezes like a deer in the headlights during a trauma, usually the brain gets stuck in a, in a Mm -hmm. sort of pattern. And so Mm -hmm. uh, both EMDR and yoga boxing break that pattern up and allow somebody to unfreeze from a trauma, Mm -hmm. from an early trauma.
0: Cool. Yeah. I was going to ask you about yoga boxing. That was one of my questions. So you already covered that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's a great, it's a great practice. It's really, it's a fabulous practice. And If somebody's teaching it, then you know that they've worked really closely with me pretty much because, Mm -hmm. like, I travel around the world, and even in the ISTA training, which is International School of Temple Arts, that's not part of the training, but when we do, we have a lot of techniques for emotional release, and I always just add yoga boxes. Mm
0: -hmm. Cool. Yeah. So you talked about learning from Tantra that your anger is just what is and Mm. that feels like a really powerful practice so how does one it seems like that practice would really alleviate a lot of self-judgment which gets in the way of our happiness and I notice a lot of self-judgment with the people I work with who are practicing open relationships they want to be more evolved than they are Um, they're mad at themselves for being jealous they're um, feeling uh, like they don't have enough other lovers or, you know, there's a lot of judge, self-judgment that goes on when people are trying to practice ethical non-monogamy. Um, so how can we use this practice of loving what is or accept, you didn't say that, but accepting or being with what is when there's all those self-judgment things going on?
1: Well, here's the thing. It's not, it isn't really, I don't know if I could call it a practice. Um, I think that what I learned in theory, let's just say, that in Tantra there is no wrong or right, there's no dark or light, there's no black or white, there's no, you know, everything is just what is. So then by Mm -hmm. doing the practices, including what we just talked about, emotional release, then the judgments become less like when I have self judgment I do emotionally i I do what I call i hit the floor so because um, that's the the practice that I do is a bioenergetic practice and it's uh and how you do it is hit by hitting the floor and you um and you you pump sexual energy through your body um by doing kegels what, that, what do you mean by what do you mean by hitting the floor? I'm telling you, you you Oh, sorry. You pump sexual. <laughs> it's all right. You pump sexual energy through your body by doing Kegel. You exhale on the squeeze, and when you exhale, your arms come down. I can't on a radio show where I can't like demonstrate it. I can't I can't tell you exactly how to do it, but I have I have plenty of YouTube you know, if, if people Google my name, Laurie Handlers, they'll find a lot of YouTubes about emotional release practices. Like I said, yeah. I'm the queen of emotional release. So there's part one and two. They're, it's called, um, what is it called? Um, turning, Transforming Anger into Pleasure. That's the name. I have a part one and part two YouTube videos. And in that, you can see the bioenergetic practice of emotional release. And if you're Mm. somebody who has low self-esteem or if you're somebody who has a lot of self-judgment, your ego isn't really um, mature enough to balance a lot of relationships without self-judgment or feeling like less than or comparing yourself or, you know, all the things people do. Then I would mm-hmm. recommend highly that people do emotional release practice. Certainly, people could call me, but you know, I there are many people who who have learned from me. I have plenty of apprentices that that they that I would be happy to turn somebody onto, and they would teach them those techniques. It's really mm-hmm. important for people to have an emotional release practice because we're responsible for our own triggers. my triggers are not the responsibility of my partner or my partners or my friends or my sister or my lover. You know what I mean? It's like my triggers are my triggers. And one. Yeah. That's like the number one thing that
0: people need to learn. I think when practicing open relationships, that's one of the first lessons is your triggers are yours. Your partner did not make you feel that way.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Your partner is there to love you and to show you where you're still hooked, where you where mm-hmm. you are triggered. I mean, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. We get in a relationship and we go, oh, my God, I'm lovable. This person loves and adores me, and we get so happy that we're loved. And then they're there also to show us where we're still unevolved, where we're still hooked, mm-hmm. where we're still triggered. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, mm-hmm. there's no point in letting anybody close. So our partners mm-hmm. are our mirrors and they mirror to us what we need to grow in. And if, you, mm-hmm. if you're somebody, if you're listening to a show and you're somebody who easily gets triggered, first of all, I would question, like, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, like, maybe you want to just do some practices and do some self-work and then enter into a few relationships. But if you're entering into a lot of relationships to kind of escape you, that's, mm-hmm. like, not so good. <laughs> That's, right. like, you know, maybe you got to roll it back a little bit.
0: Right. And I think of, I often tell people to enter relationships so that you can love as opposed to entering relationship to be loved.
1: Right. 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 <laughs> That's great. I like that. Yeah, so emotional yeah. release is a big practice, and you know those are the big things that I got from tantra. I don't know, you know, I don't know if I told if, if I've said everything, but I get, I'm giving you like the big cornerstones to who I am, and that those came, you know, from all my experiences, but tantra in particular uh, polished me. Like polishing a stone, you know, like the ocean polishes stones. Like Tantra mm-hmm. took away my rough edges and enabled me to glide easily through life, which before mm-hmm. that I was kind of clunking my way and punching my way through life, even though people loved me. I mean, I was very mm-hmm. lovable, but I was difficult. I was difficult to be in relationship with. I was like fighting mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Cool. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at SumatiSparks.com. And we're speaking with Lori Handlers, who's a sex and happiness coach. She's been teaching Tantra for a big portion of her life. Over 20 years. And has the best. Over 20 years. I don't know. (laughs) And if you have any questions for Lori, feel free to call in to 657-383-1132. That's 657-383-1132. You won't interrupt us. You'll just be waiting on hold and we will answer your call when, when the time is right. So um, we were talking about how Tantra has affected your relationships and you said something in your email about how you, I don't remember what word you use, but something like you're bumbling through open relationships and, So maybe you can articulate that a little bit more about how with this way of feeling like you're a polished stone and being with what is, how do you hang out with the complexities and the nuances of non-monogamy?
1: Yeah, so it's good. I don't, you know, I don't know how to answer that. uh, Another friend of mine wants to interview me about that, and I don't really know how to answer it except to say I made myself a promise um, somewhere between 50 and 60 that I wouldn't, and up until that time, I had been a serial monogamist, and I'd have, I've had, I never married, I never had a family. It's not what I wanted to do. I always wanted to do something bigger in the world than, Raise a child, I felt like I would be held back by raising a child or two. I just had to be out there, I had to be traveling, I had to be doing so. I didn't do normal stuff, but I did have you know one relation, monogamous relationship after another, after another, after another, after another. And, um, somewhere around 55, I guess, I said to myself, I'm not doing this anymore, I don't want to invest Mm -hmm. like five, ten years in a relationship and then it end and then maybe feel like it took, takes me a few years to recover. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't feel you know, whatever I, whatever. uh, Negative feelings I could feel or like um, feeling like, Oh, did I just waste that time? You know, all this self doubt. I decided Mm -hmm. I never wanted to feel like that. I never wanted to feel like that again. So I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to prevent myself from doing it. And so I have really since that time been um, seeing multiple people. I'm not, I don't know whether to say I'm in multiple relationships or, or I'm not. I have a primary partner who I absolutely love and adore. I feel more love now and more Adoration that I've ever felt in my whole life. We're in an open relationship, meaning anywhere I go on the road, which I go on the road a lot, I can do anything I want at any time with anybody. I just have to tell the truth about it. I don't have to ask mm-hmm. permission. He doesn't mm-hmm. have to ask permission of me. I have one ground rule, and that is no heavy kissing. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: Like mm-hmm. I feel like kissing. I feel like kissing leads to like really falling in love. Um, -hmm. I, I just find myself dealing with one moment at a time as it comes. If I have an issue, I'll say it. If I don't have an issue, I, I don't care. You know, then I don't bring anything up. I want to know. I'm with somebody who's like, you know, dirt shit honest. And I'm that way. So, so it's like. I love it. I love honesty. I love knowing where I stand. I love that. And so I just feel not, I don't feel competitive with anybody. I Mm -hmm. don't feel competitive with him. I don't feel, he wants me to be loved and adored wherever I go. That could involve full on sexuality and it might not. It might just like sometimes I have to demonstrate sex, you know, like energetic sex in a workshop mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes at a play party in a workshop, I have energetic sex with somebody. It's rare that I really want to have full- on sex, but I could, and sometimes I do, and mm-hmm. um it there's just there 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 ha let's just say there hasn't really been any issue. And I've been operating like this now for I don't know 15 years. Beautiful. It's funny, funny that I could ask you. Know you who, Go ahead. You know to who you know who Deborah Anapol is, right?
0: Yes, she passed she away.
1: Wrote, right. So Deborah said to me before she passed away, when I was describing to her how I was operating, she said to me, "You sound polyamorous to me." And I said to her. I, I just don't want to define myself like that. I, I'm, I'm resisting the label. Mm-hmm. I don't want to label myself monogamy and I don't want to label myself polyamory. I'm not going to label myself and you could, I said to her, you could call me whatever you want.
0: You know, because you're right. very,
1: very close. So,
0: yeah. Well, the, the labels are all very restrictive mm-hmm. and, you know, some people don't want to call themselves polyamorous because they have multiple lovers, but they don't full on fall in love and then other people only fall in love and they have like polyfidelity, where they just have a few lovers. So they don't want to call themselves open.
1: <laughs> right. So
0: the, the labels tend to fall short and we're kind of a rebellious type of people anyway. So whenever a label <laughs> comes, find a way to crash through it. Um, but you said I could ask you anything that I wanted. So I'm going to push a little bit on what you said no. about the, no. The deep, the deep kissing thing. So yeah. now, is that a two, is that a two way thing, or is that just a request you have of your partner? And and why don't you want to to fall to really fall in love with another person?
1: Well, it's it's funny that you asked that because it, it all makes no sense. Um, <laughs> it not none of it makes any sense. You know what I mean? Like I don't even think mm-hmm. relationships make sense. Like. <laughs> They're not to me. Relationships aren't conducted in my left brain. Relationships That's are right. conducted in my right brain, which is my my feminine aspect, my creativity, my flow. So there's no mm-hmm. nothing makes any sense. So it's like mm-hmm. an idea I had. I said, I I requested you not deep kiss anybody, and I, I don't like I requested you not fall in love with them. I come home from somewhere where all where by the way I'm the I broke the I broke the agreement. And um <laughs> with somebody that I'm with somebody that I'm very, very close with and who I love and adore, like probably the closest man friend that I have. And mm-hmm. my partner said to me, But you really are in love with him. So it's okay. He said, "Like you really are in love with him. If you told it, if you would really tell the truth to yourself about it, like you really are in love with him." And I went, "I guess I am." So mm-hmm. I'm in love with everybody,
0: mm-hmm. um, whether
1: I kiss, whether I deep kiss them or not. <laughs> <laughs> and and I have a lot of discernment. Meaning, before I was tantric, I'll just give you the comparison. Before I was tantric. I was like on a seafood diet, like I would have sex with anybody that I wanted. I saw someone, I thought it was hot, I would just have sex with them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm not like that. I I really have a lot of discernment. Like I go, is this something I really want to do? Do I want to like mix energies with this person? Because what I know is that if I really mix energies with the person, if I have full on like intercourse, kissing, touching, orgasming, they're then in me. Their energy mm-hmm. then resides in my temple. And right. I got to think twice about that. So I'm pretty picky about anyone that I have mix that energy with now. It's so funny that I've that I've, you know, grown to this. It like to mm-hmm. me it's part of the cosmic cosmic joke that I have. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I don't know why. Maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's control. I mean, I'm willing to be all of it. I don't have to be ashamed of it. It's kind of like, I don't know. It just came to me like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to just kiss somebody and fall in love with them. I don't want to either. And then I don't know how practical that is.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> well, thank but you for your honest. honesty around that. Yeah, yeah Totally.
1: But that's the point. Like, I don't know anybody who has any answers to this. I think we're pioneers uh, breaking mm-hmm. the rules, questioning the status quo, uh, creating our own designs. And I feel like we should give ourselves a break. We should not be so hard on ourselves. We should, not, um, we should give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, and we should be very forgiving. That's what I think.
0: Absolutely. So that is yeah, so a I'm practice of time, right? Way. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm just trying my way. I've I've been at Swingers Resort. I've been asked to, you know, join in swinging uh in, you know, with a couple perhaps. I've uh I've orchestrated some scenes, but I can't tell you that I, you know, I I kind of knew that wasn't for me. Although I love hanging around in swingers, I love hedonism, so I love hanging around there and the people that I meet who are swingers are wonderful people. So open, Mm -hmm. so fabulous, but, but it feels to me like they're doing more like sex Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and not so much relationship. And
0: I'm, I don't
1: think, I don't think that's the answer either. So I feel like somewhere in between is a place for me to carve out for myself. And I, I, you Mm -hmm. know, it isn't stationary yet. I can't give it a definition.
0: I think you described it very well. Thank you for that. Thank you. Um, Thank you. So one of the one of the things I I took off your um, website was the phrase reducing stress as one of the things that you teach, and uh, it stood out for me because I've had acupuncturists and other holistic healers tell me, you know, you need to you need to have less stress. You need to remove stress is really bad. Remove stress but they never tell you how to reduce stress. So I started to take this opportunity to ask you, what are some of your um, teachings around reducing stress?
1: Well, that is so good that you asked. Um, first off, doing, practicing emotional release reduces stress because when you no longer have active triggers, then there's no stress about what's going, who's going to trigger you in any get, or what situation is going to trigger you. Like there's just no need to get triggered. The emotional release settles a lot of things, but also mm-hmm. um, high self-esteem reduces stress. Also, when a person feels in their power. And sovereign, there's not a lot of stress that accompanies it. Like when you feel like, "Wow, I can go anywhere, do anything. I'm sovereign. You know, I I got certain things handled. You know, I have a place to live. I have a I have clothes to wear. I have food to eat. I have a car to drive. I have friends. I have this. When you when we start to look, I'll just say for myself. When I start to look around and count my blessings and be grateful, that reduces my stress. And then, in your introduction, you talked about my other love, which is radical life extension. And mm-hmm. my, I, I belong to a community of immortalists where people who want to live forever in this body. We don't want to mm-hmm. die and come and come back in another lifetime and do reincarnation and all that stuff. And they helped me reduce stress around money. They just, they interacted with me in such a way. They said, first of all, if you want to live forever, you got to make a lot of money. Because it's, you know, the treatments we're going to have to have and the, the supplements we're going to have to take are going to cost something. You need to make more money. And up until mm-hmm. that point, I had never really given it much thought. I, was, I kind of was a hippie back in the day and, you know, some years I made a lot of money. Some years I didn't make a lot of money. But I had a thing gnawing in my stomach that sometimes kept me up at night. Like I don't have enough. Mm-hmm. And they said you you have to stop your worry about that and put that energy into action.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so and so I did, and I don't have that re, that that little reactive pit of the stomach thing. So two things I don't have anymore. I don't have fight, which is like I'm going to I'm a New York City girl going to fight my way through everything. I don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I don't have this thing in the pit of my stomach like how am I going to make ends meet? Like I did I took the actions I needed to take to make more money and mm-hmm. to be and to have sufficient income that I don't have that just playing in the background all the time. So I don't know for each individual that's listening what it would take, but first, like someone else's knee jerk reaction might not be anger. It could be fear. They're going to you have to reckon with that. You have to decide like, I don't want that. Like I decided I didn't want to fight anymore. And the fight mm-hmm. left me. I took the actions and then I didn't want the stress of the finances anymore and mm-hmm. so I took the action that I needed to take. And I, I feel um I feel like everybody's capable of that. I I just I don't know what they all have to do, you know. I've certain I've coached people into financial um what do you call it? Um
0: Abundance
1: Yeah, Prosperity. abundance. Or, yeah prosperity I have coached people into that it's and it's not that difficult it's not rocket science like people have to put their to work
0: yeah and you're right that is the source of most of our stress is um having to work having to pay the bills pay the rent um worry that there won't be enough at the end of the month all that kind of stuff is is usually underlying most people's stress if we didn't have that we could just say i'm feeling a little little um busy i think i'm going to go to the beach for a week you know <laughs> so right yeah that, right. that's usually underlying most right. stress other other right. than like worry about maybe a sick person that you love or something but m- most other stresses are about money yeah exactly so i'm i'm hearing you so, say that we, you know to ma- make a decision like you made a decision and someone told you that rather than using that energy to worry and stay up at night to um, redirect that energy into some action where you can use your gifts in the world.
1: Exactly. Now there is Mm -hmm. something else and that just is also people worry about becoming decrepit. They worry about death Mm -hmm. and dying and they worry about becoming decrepit and I've taken action about that too. Like I'm. Well, yeah, that's a. Good segue. I wanted to ask you about your
0: life extension studies and also how that intersects with sexuality. So many women after menopause start to lose their sex drive or they have pain and intercourse and all kinds of other symptoms. So I wanted to uh, give you know, a little time for you to talk about that and if you've helped mature women um, reclaim their sexual drive and energy and vibration.
1: Yes, um, I most certainly have. First of all, I take bioidentical hormones. I don't mm-hmm. know, not everybody can take them, but from what I hear from my physician, um, even people who have history of cancer, cervical, or breast cancer, in their families, bioidenticals are safe, but they just need to be checked more often. They need more more regular blood tests, like maybe four to six times a year instead of two times a year. Um mm-hmm. So one is to take hormones if you possibly can. Two is to use lube. Three is to keep your flow going. So this is where self-love comes in. Women need to touch themselves. They need to, they need to keep sexual energy running, but we all do. I'm just saying women. Um, we mm-hmm. all do because we need serotonin, dopamine, endorphins, and we really need oxytocin. Really mm-hmm. need it, and so if we say, "Oh, I hit menopause, I don't need these I don't need to do this anymore. We just start going down a slippery slope fast mm-hmm. because when we mm-hmm. become inactive look it, you know how they say what you use, you don't lose
0: Mhm
1: in gym, you know, you go to the gym, you do bicep curls. well, if you keep yourself sexually active and you keep those cocktails going through the bloodstream to the nerves, to the neural pathways, you keep yourself conditioned to be useful and for every, all these things to fire. Plus, it oxygenates every cell of the body to be sexual. So whether you have a partner or not, one of the things I teach is for people to do self-pleasuring, masturbation, touch themselves, bring themselves to orgasms regularly, and then I teach them sex magic how to use those orgasms to use themselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's like if I would do sex magic because I want to make more money or if I would do sex magic mm-hmm. because a certain I want to write another book or I want, another TV, I want a TV show or I want another movie or whatever the stuff is that I do, if I do sex magic for that, both solo practice and with my partner, then I don't waste any orgasm. My orgasms always Mm -hmm. go towards something. And I would recommend that people do that too. So one of the things I say is a forever body. I'm a forever body. I'm a forever person. I'm a forever being. I want to stay here forever. Will I stay forever? Mm -hmm. I don't know. But but the Mm -hmm. truth is that if I don't, I won't know. And who will care? I know that's what I want and if you if you see me if you interact with me you know I had a 16 year old in one of my in my it's a level 2 in Australia I think he was 16 or 17 and he told his mother who had been my student I don't think I could learn anything from a woman of her age
0: and <laughs> then he met
1: me you know then he met me and he said you're younger than me
0: <laughs>
1: so I, you know, if you interact with me, you, I'm ageless, I'm timeless, and that's, to me, that's the goal, like, Mm -hmm. I don't like this whole thing where people, like, act of their decade, you know, when you're in Mm -hmm. your 30s, you're like this, when you're 40s, you're like this, when you're in 50s, like this, when you're 60s, like this, and now 70s, oh my God, I'm supposed to be starting to be decrepit. Most of the people mm-hmm. I grew up with are, you know, or they're on their mm-hmm. way to that. I, I'm not mm-hmm. like that. They always say to me, I go to high school reunions, they say, what are you doing?
0: Mm-hmm. And I go, well,
1: why don't you come and join me, you know? The, I didn't move to <laughs> Arizona because I like cacti. I moved to Arizona <laughs> because I'm part of a community that, that's into the immortality. So, mm. So those are cool. my suggestions. I- and so let me ask you, um, does,
0: if a woman takes on that practice of self-pleasuring, are orgasms necessary or is just uh, arousal enough?
1: Mm, that's good. No one's ever asked me that before. Well, I, I like orgasms, so I'm going to say orgasms are necessary, but I don't, in fact, know that they are. I'm just, that's what mm. I use. I, I don't waste any orgasms. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I've certainly had sexual practice where I haven't had an orgasm, and it's been fine. Sometimes just connection mm-hmm. is great. Sometimes just connection to my own hands and my own self. Mm-hmm. Because I remember um, many years ago I took a course called
0: Female Shamanic Training, and we read a book, and the practice was to bring yourself close to orgasm five or six times, kind of like the Taoist practices for men where you bring yourself close but you don't go over the top.
1: And then when you walk around
0: in the world, you're kind of in this state of arousal and turn-on that's very attractive and it breeds a lot of creativity. So that was about 20 or 25 years ago I read that book and I was just thinking about it again when you were talking.
1: I liked what you said and I'm going to say yes. I like the idea of it, if you have an orgasm or not, if you're turned on and you're walking around through life, that's great. Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. all for that. I'm all for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Some women feel like orgasms are harder to reach when they get older or they don't have quite as much sensitivity to have a clitoral orgasm. So I'm often teaching them to feel whole body orgasms or G-spot orgasms or, you know, just feeling like life is an orgasmic experience instead of going for that goal, which can be harder for mature women sometimes.
1: Yes, absolutely. So it's trying to take the pressure
0: absolutely. off. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. Cool.
1: And I'm, I'm not against toys. I don't care what you use. I'm not against toys. A long time ago I discovered that I liked surgical gloves because I like to mm-hmm. touch myself without knowing whose hands they are.
0: Ah, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> cool.
1: Um,
0: so we just have a few more minutes, and I wanted to ask you if there's any other unique practices you want to share besides yoga boxing. Um, I know you wrote an article about using food to enhance sex life. Uh, if you want to talk about that or if there's some other unique practice you want to share with us that you've created.
1: Mm. Well, the thing that I created when you talk about that is really something called the Gaté dinner. And Gaté means mm. beyond in Sanskrit. And then I have a whole movie about it called Beyond Dinner. And what it is, is a formal dinner where people come, uh, they pair up, they may not be couples, but they pair up and then the men rotate and they feed the women and then the women feed them back and they d- there's no utensils and there's no rules. Like you could we practice boundaries and then the men can say, you know, can I eat a potato between your toes, from between your toes? Mm. Or can I, eat, can I eat salmon mousse off your breast? Or can I eat um, stuffed mushrooms from your mouth to my mouth or whatever? And so in each course, it's about a 14-course meal, and each course mm. they rotate around and they share with somebody else. So different things mm. happen at each, at each station. So I love that. I've done that in restaurants. I've done that for just dessert, gâte mm-hmm. dessert. I've done that with just one partner, gotte Valentine snack. Um, mm. And I've done it with, I've done the dinner with thirty people participating. Um, mm-hmm. And if people want to see it, they can, they can, uh, they can Google the, the title Beyond Dinner, and I think it's like. Four dollars to rent, or two dollars to rent, or something. They can get it. I forgot what the. I think it's Distrify, that it's uh, mm-hmm. that it's distributed on. But it's really a fun movie, and there are two Hollywood actors who are in the movie with us, and uh, the rest are all students of mine who wanted to be in the film. We're in a big mansion in Philadelphia, and uh, the actors, you know, the 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 husband reacts. And he wants to leave and things get really interesting when the couple leaves our dinner. We keep going, but they, they have a different, they have a, a, an alternative sequence. <laughs> so it's really fun and it really shows the preparation that goes into the dinner. And it's like gourmet, gorgeous, decorated candles. I'm I'm just fabulous. So I like food as a practice, as a sensual practice. I probably have tons of other stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But that was so, um you, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't I just wanted to take the last couple of minutes here for you to, to tell us a little bit about what ISTA is. We didn't get a chance to talk about that and I know you're a lead faculty member for that organization. You've been traveling all over the world to all kinds of exotic places. So um tell us a little bit about what ISTA is.
1: ISTA is International School of Temple Arts. And it is a school of, we have 13 leads, and we have about 20 to 30 co-facilitators, international, all from every, so many different countries. And we, three of us at a time, lead level one, two, or three. There are three levels of, uh, we have SSSEX, spiritual, sexual, shamanic experience. Then we have spiritual, sexual, shamanic initiation. That's level two. And then we have seed, spiritual, sexual, shamanic seeding, which means you take your idea, what you're passionate about, and you bring it into the world, and we help you do that. So those Mm. are the three levels. And um, it's a very eclectic training. It, It has lots of people's techniques and lots of, Different people's conglomeration of the best of sacred sexuality, shamanism, and spirituality. And uh, you can go to schooloftemplearts.org and you can find a training in almost every country, even in places in the Arab world.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I went yeah, to. I um, love it. The training, I don't know how long it was, maybe 15 years ago in Sedona, and I'm just amazed at how much it's flourished and grown all over the world.
1: Yes, it's quite a big thing. It's amazing. I'm very excited Mm -hmm. to be part of the faculty and a lead. I feel very responsible for the quality that we deliver, and I feel I stand behind it. And then I have my own school, Butterfly Workshops. People can find Mm -hmm. out about that at Butterfly workshops. Yeah, we just
0: have a couple more yeah, a couple more minutes so just go right into telling our listeners how they can reach you and okay. um, if you have an, a gift to offer them.
1: Yeah, so butterfly workshops with an s, workshops.com. If you sign up on my mailing list, you will get a I think it's a recording of me talking about tantra and um, like the basics of what tantra is. You'll find lots of things on my website. I have lots of articles. If you Google me or you look for me on YouTube, there's a lot of YouTubes of me teaching various techniques, and I'm starting something with Crystal Dawn Morris, my colleague, and is the lead also. We're starting Tom Traversity, and we're going to be teaching online courses about sacred sexuality and couples communication and self-love, and loving others. Uh, so that's pretty much. And then I have my film um, Beyond Dinner, Tantric Tourists. And then there's a new one I'm doing called The Big T, Testosterone, Blessing or Curse. Mm. And it's about mm-hmm. football. And I'll be doing ah. in January, you might be interested in this, I'm going to be doing What to Do About Me Too, a multi-city mm-hmm. event. So I'll be I'll send you more information about that,
0: and that will be on your website as you get it more solidified.
1: I don't know if that'll be on my website. I'm just like putting the word out there, and I'm getting facilitators in as many cities as I can to enroll okay. forty people in each city and have them deal with okay. the crisis of me too, Meg, or Meg toe. Like I'm, I'm off, I'm over it. I don't want to hear it anymore. I want people to take responsibility for what's happened to them, take it as a blessing, grow from it and, and forgive And because we need each other. Mm-hmm. Men and women need each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Beautiful. Well, I look forward to hearing about that. And thank you so much for being on the show, Lori. It was so enjoyable to learn so much about you. You're such a, a Renaissance woman and um, I wish you all <laughs> the with, best with your, um,
1: all of your adventures. Thank you, Sumati. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here and having you interview me. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste. Good
0: night. So next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, we'll be speaking with Regina Fletcher. Regina is a relationship coach who helps people not only create their ideal romantic partnerships, but also lifelong friendships. And she's a delightful person who's based in San Francisco. So tune in next week at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Leading Edge Love Radio. This has been your host, Summa T. Sparks, the open relationship coach. Good night.